Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Through the Eyes of a Therapist. This is Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, board certified therapist. Thus far, we've covered how to become a fully licensed clinician. And today, we are going to learn from my guest, Kristen Trick, licensed professional counselor, registered play therapist. We're going to learn about how to become a play therapist. She talks to us about why she chose to be a play therapist out of all the different kinds of therapists you can be, what kinds of problems you can treat as a registered play therapist, and in general, how play therapy works. I just want to thank you for being on the podcast today. Can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Like you shared, my name's Kristen Trick, and I actually grew up in Virginia, and through means of the military, ended up in El Paso, Texas, and started out actually receiving my bachelor's degree in youth ministry, and then pursued a master's in professional counseling to help me get where I am today. Okay, would you mind telling us a little bit about why you wanted to become a counselor or a therapist? Sure. I realized that through most of my life, people have been telling me that I was a good listener, and I knew that I wanted to help people. When I was in high school, I actually thought about that in consideration for the bachelor's degree track, but I was never able to narrow down exactly what I wanted to do or I could do to help people. And through various events in life, I did interact with uh, with professional counselors who shared about how they were able to use life experiences and training to help people and that was my niche like I found that's actually what I want to do okay so you found like a professional career that met uh kind of like your your hopes and your wishes for like how you wanted to help people and so you're like I'm going to pursue higher education and there's like a degree in that and it's counseling Mm -hmm. so you decided to become a therapist that way. Right. Um, you are a registered play therapist, and that's something I really want to focus on mm-hmm. today because um, we're exploring all different kinds of mental health professions um, and specific types of therapy that practitioners engage in on the day-to-day or on the daily. And um, you are the first um, RPT registered play therapist that I'm interviewing and probably the only one Mm -hmm. um but it's you are a rare kind of therapist at least here in El Paso I know that there aren't too many um and uh it's a specialty therapy that you have to get certified in in order to practice so can you talk to us a little bit about the process of becoming an RPT what would people have to do Mm-hmm. to end up with this registration apart from their license. Absolutely. In order to become a registered play therapist, a practitioner has to have their independent practice license, be independently certified to practice therapy. And you're right, a person needs to pursue a lot of advanced training in the area of play therapy. Standards have changed slightly so listeners are are uh, encouraged to look at the a for pt website that's a and then the number four pt.org 
to receive the most updated standards. Um, okay. When I received my RPT within the past two years, what was required was at least 350 hours of in vivo play therapy experience with clients, a hundred hours of a um, hundred hours of advanced training, so continuing education units, and then at least fifty supervision hours with the RPTS. So in total, um, at least five hundred hours were spent um, specifically towards learning about and practicing play therapy. Okay, so. Can you be an LCSW and get your RPT? Or yes. Okay, so you can have, uh, as long as you're independently licensed somehow, so mm-hmm. even licensed marriage and family therapists? Yes. Okay, so LMFTs, LCSWs, and licensed professional counselors can pursue the RPT. Yes. And so after you're fully licensed, you have to have, so in addition to those 3,000 hours that it takes Mm -hmm. to be fully licensed, um, you have to have another 500 hours in this specialty area. You can actually start taking the CEU courses during your LPC intern hours or during your non-independently licensed hours Mm -hmm. and count them towards the RPT. Oh, okay, so if this is something you know for sure you want to pursue, and um, I'd imagine that takes like some focus in the beginning mm-hmm. um, when you're provisionally licensed to be able to say like, I want to be an RPT, so let me start now. Yes. Okay, so then you can start kind of collecting hours mm-hmm. as you're an LPC intern. Would Could you also be an LMSW pursuing your LCSW? I'm not as familiar with that profession okay. with those standards so I encourage listeners to check with the boards if they are in uh, LMSW right. but for LPCs yes okay so for LPCs yes and you have to have a separate supervisor which you said is an RPTS yes okay so that would be a registered play therapy supervisor yes which is a separate designation that's kind of a level up right mm-hmm. from RPTs yes okay those super Supervisors have accrued many more supervision hours and far more experience and continuing education hours than the RPT. Yeah, I can imagine. It sounds like a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us why you decided to go go ahead and become an RPT? What was it about play therapy that you thought, like, this is something worth pursuing, um, that extra dedication and those you know, you had to, like, go after... I remember when you were going through it, like, mm-hmm. you would go after your 40-hour-a-week job and, like, right. still continue to get your hours for the RPT. So you have mm-hmm. to be super dedicated. Yeah. So what was it about this modality of treatment that you were like, okay, I'm going to do this? I worked for a few years in a psychiatric hospital setting, predominantly with children, 5- to 10-year-olds, And what I realized working with them is that the cognitive behavioral therapy would not work, that my sessions for group time were over in maybe 10 minutes, and I had a 45-minute slot for group to fill. Mm -hmm. I remember trying to use worksheets, trying to find creative games to play with them, but it just did not click therapeutically for them. And I 
had received some training in play therapy from my LPCS supervisor and chose to complete a 40-hour introduction to play therapy training held here in town in El Paso. And through learning about play therapy and actually getting to do a practicum with two different clients in that training, I saw this is the way to connect with kids. This is the way to understand them and to help them heal therapeutically. So I pursued RPT training because I realized it worked, that there wasn't a better way to connect with kids and to do my job effectively with them. Yeah. So it sounds like you were looking for a way to connect therapeutically with a kid and have have the purpose of your interaction be mm-hmm. meaningful and healing versus like, we're just going to play a game. Or, mm-hmm. um, I mean, not that when you play with a therapist in a session, it's just playing, right? Because I'm sure there's some therapeutic element, but... I think, like, maybe the path to healing is a little bit more direct Mm -hmm. with play therapy. It it is more... It's clearer where we're going Mm -hmm. with therapy because Mm -hmm. with play, kids communicate with play as their language and toys as their words. That's a widely held tenant in play therapy. Mm -hmm. So actually interacting with a child, being trained as a play therapist, I can pick up on themes that children are bringing back into their play based on the toys that they choose and the way that they use those toys. I can understand a lot more about that child and what's going on with them than I would if I simply asked them questions, like Mm -hmm. in talk therapy. So it's developmentally appropriate, too. Yes. So versus like, okay, come in here, four-year-old, I don't know, Mary, and Mm -hmm. we're going to talk. And like, you sit across from them, and I can imagine that that's not very effective and probably not appropriate given their age. Mm -hmm. But if they're engaging in play... Um, there are certain things about the way they play because that's their form of communication. So you're able to kind of um, conceptualize the client through the play and then treat them through the play because that's how they're communicating with you. Exactly. Okay, okay, gotcha. At any point during your training for becoming an RPT, did you ever doubt either the effectiveness of it or like your ability to finish the hours or anything like that that was challenging in the process? I didn't doubt whether I'd finish the hours because once I started logging the hours, I knew I would complete them because it's such a, a strong investment paying for, paying for and spending the time to do the extra training. There mm-hmm. were a couple of times where I questioned the theoretical orientation that I was predominantly being trained in. I have most of my training in non-directive play therapy because most of the research for play therapy has been done from practitioners who uh, subscribe to the non-directive modality. Mm -hmm. So when I started questioning the theoretical orientation, I explored different options and now tend to be more Adlerian in my approach, so more directive than what I was trained in. Okay. The questions I had about um, pursuing my RPT, they weren't questions about whether or not this was um, ethical or not. It was more of, 
uh, am I comfortable with this? Am I comfortable um, not uh, not being as directive as I think is needed sometimes mm-hmm. for kids to um, to change and for for the better? Can you tell us a little bit about what non-directive play therapy means, and then what Adlerian means? Sure. So non-directive play therapy is synonymous with Rogers' human-centered approach, where the client leads the session, the client leads the treatment, and Adlerian pulls in more directive interventions because Adlerians believe in helping a helping a person grow through uh, like through shaping uh, through picking up on their social system their um, social supports and giving them challenges to overcome to build that self-confidence and build that self-esteem and resiliency so with the non-directive I, I found myself bored sometimes in sessions with clients uh, using the standard responses that I had been taught in non-directive. With Adlerian, I, I think I can be more creative in what I bring into the session and uh, more efficient in bringing about change for mm-hmm. the client and their family. We both went to school for counseling, right? Like mm-hmm. for uh, graduate studies in counseling. And so part of that training is exposure to different kinds of Um, I guess, theoretical orientations. So how you practice and how you interact and interface with a client um, comes from different theories. So uh, there's, you know, Rogers, which Mm -hmm. is um, person-centered therapy. You follow the client's lead. The basic, I guess, tenet is that they know or have inside them what they need and you just like allow them to bring that out in the session Mm -hmm. um and that's how healing happens or that's how change happens with a client and so with Adlerian there is I was trained in Adlerian when I was in graduate school as well Mm -hmm. but it's interesting to hear how kind of like a I call them like quote-unquote basic theoretical orientations that I think people should be familiar with um, when they go through training to become a counselor, mm-hmm. it mixes with play therapy. Right. So I wonder how that happens. Like, is that, maybe this isn't the episode for that, but I just wonder, when. how did you discover that you wanted to take the Adlerian play therapy approach versus... Mm-hmm. Because I only thought there was, like, one kind of play therapy, which was, right. like, person-centered. So I'm like, oh, interesting. Like, where'd that come from, mm-hmm. I guess, is my question. <laughs> what really drew my attention to start exploring other theoretical orientations was working with kids in the hospital setting and realizing that the standard non-directive response of... Um, empathizing you want to do that but and then setting the limit that it just wasn't working it it wasn't very uh, effective um and I don't think it was appropriate for kids who were being aggressive to uh, other kids or to property there are different play therapy approaches besides Adlerian as well there's cognitive behavioral um there's uh young as well. Jungian, yeah. Yes, Jungian play therapy. There are different options even within the play therapy world. 
I did a lot of reading by Dr. Terry Cotman, who mm -hmm. she actually went to the University of North Texas's Center for Play Therapy, and while she was a student in their in their PhD program, um, came across some realizations that there could be a, a pathway to Adlerian and developed Adlerian play therapy while she was a student at UNT, which developed non-centered, non, non um, I'm sorry, non-directive play therapy. Wow. So um, she, reading her material and uh, understanding there are different approaches to take, motivated me to um, take a different route with play therapy. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. So knowing how it's effective um, and just in a different way and mm -hmm. given the population um, maybe that you were working with at the time and even now, you find that just that is just, it has a different edge over like person-centered, mm -hmm. non-directive play therapy. Right. I think with theoretical orientation, it, it comes down to what is best for the client to help them on their journey to change. And then what also is personable to us as clinicians because we can we can try to use interventions from different orientations but if it's not linking with our personality I think there's a disconnect and I think the client can pick up on that too that it's not very genuine exactly yeah that's important to understand whatever level of training you have in psychology or mental health practice or therapy um if something is just not jiving with you and you don't have that kind of like investment and engagement and match to that modality, it's gonna come across maybe subtly, right? It's not mm -hmm. like really disingenuine. Maybe it might be sometimes, but I think people pick up on the fact that you're not being genuine or like right. something's wrong. Like it's almost forced or something. Right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Do you have any advice for people who want to become play therapists or are considering taking this route? The advice I have, if you are interested in pursuing your RPT is to seek out specialized training for play therapy as soon as possible because play therapy has a unique way of looking at children and conceptualizing cases and if you want to start the process of becoming an RPT it is a long journey so mm -hmm. the sooner you start and can determine yes this is what I want to do or no I don't want to go there is is more helpful for you in the long run. Okay, so getting that exposure. I think also getting, to yeah. exposing yourself to different theories. I was unfamiliar with the fact that play therapy has a lot of modalities, a lot of theoretical orientations when I started my training. So it wasn't until near the end of my RPT that I actually studied different theoretical modalities. Yeah. And once I did, I started... Um, it was like my excitement about play therapy and working with kids just rose even more because I found a fit. Like I found something that was congruent with me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wonder if you can tell us a little more about the types of issues or problems 
um, or challenges that play therapy can be helpful in treating? Mm-hmm. Play therapy is uh, an effective treatment for an array of presenting problems. Most predominantly, I've seen success with children children struggling with anxiety and depression, uh, which often looks like anger with the little ones, because play therapy ideally is a place, the playroom is a place where a kid can feel very confident exploring and trying new things, using their imagination and connecting with the therapist as well. The playroom is, is that child's space and that can help them with their self-esteem and with their self-confidence. Mm-hmm. What ages are appropriate for play therapy? As young as age two, and then typically I'll move children out of the playroom at eight or nine based on their developmental age. So I've worked with some kids who are 10 and 11 chronologically, but developmentally they're acting a few years behind. Um, Mm -hmm. So maybe at a six or seven year old level and found that they really thrive when they come into the playroom in comparison to being in my office and us doing a a board game or some kind of um, alternative intervention. So two two to eight um, chronologically, I think is certainly play therapy is the best uh, rooted treatment option, but consider the developmental level of the child you're working with. Would you ever do play therapy with an adult? I have done play therapy with an adult, not in the playroom. So um, play therapy doesn't need to be limited to a playroom. Um, There's actually been a lot of studies done about nature-based play therapy that's taking kids out into um, the environment and using play therapy techniques with leaves, sticks, dirt, um, with whatever they get their hands on from the environment. And And El Paso would be like sand and cacti. Yes, (laughs) hopefully not the cacti, (laughs) but in El Paso, definitely the rocks and the dirt. Yeah. (laughs) With adults, I've used play therapy interventions in the form of... um, taking uh, play figures, um, like like little dolls or action figures, and asking them, like going back to the Illyrian theme, do a family constellation, um, pick out a figure for each member of your family, set up the family, and that can um, be therapeutic for them because it's, it's something taking them back to childhood, mm-hmm. um, fun, non-threatening, and then it's also helpful for me as the clinician to see the order of the family. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, that sounds like sand tray therapy. Yes, I've used it with the sand tray where um, figures can be put up in the sand tray or on a piece of paper or table, whatever we've got to work with. Okay, is sand tray a form of play therapy or mm, are they similar or? (laughs) I think it depends on who you ask. There's been courses in sand play, which is a type of therapy itself, sand play, Um, there are typically sand boxes in the playroom. So I've studied sand tray work as part of my play therapy training. I do think it's a component of play 
However, there are also distinctions of being an actual sand tray therapist and receiving certifications in sand tray. Oh, okay. So they they could be completely separate. Yes. So you would you could be a sand tray therapist. Yes. Or a play therapist. Like mm-hmm. they would be separate certifications. Yes. Separate areas of study. Similar to art therapy. Okay. Play incorporates art and someone can also pursue licensing as an art therapist. Mm, I see. Okay. Have you ever considered pursuing any of those? I've considered Santre not so much art because it, it it takes a lot of hours and a lot of studies. I've actually read that Um, Some individuals need to go back for further education, meaning need to go back for a degree in art therapy. So that would be taking a slightly different career path, like a big commitment for me. Um, Looking into Santre training, there is a fabulous place in New Mexico. Um, I think it's within two hours away from El Paso that a practitioner opens their home to train people in Santre modalities. Uh-huh. I've looked into those trainings and that certification, but am um, prioritizing training and uh, treating post-traumatic stress like EMDR, um, PCIT, those modalities mm-hmm. more so. Yeah. I, also, I guess it it depends on where you're working, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So like, if you have a private practice, um, I'd imagine that depending on the values of, of I guess, the value of the agency you're working for, right? So, like, if they feel very strongly about play therapy, then they may invest in playrooms, um, paying for RPTs to get their, like, certifications, mm-hmm. things like that, um, which I think only one of those exists here in El Paso, right? Which was... Which is, what is it called? The Counseling Center of Expressive Arts. Yes, the Counseling Center of Expressive Arts. So I know that they're very invested in play therapy, and that's one of the main modalities that they practice as a group practice. It's a private right. practice, but it's a group practice. And then also, the one that is stealing you away from the guidance center, <laughs> just kidding, is um, Sawyer, right? Sawyer Behavioral Health. Sawyer Behavioral Health. And mm-hmm. I assume that that's also a place where they practice a lot of play therapy? Yes. Okay. We actually have a sand tray and art room. So we have those two modalities as well, okay. in addition to a playroom. And myself, the owner of the practice, and then another provider were all RPTs. So there are three registered play therapists. Um on site there. Oh, okay. Very good. So what is next for you? Do you think that you would want to become an RPTS or do you want to pursue other kinds of certifications or what is it that you imagine yourself doing in the future? Mm -hmm. Right now I'm in a state of waiting because I am hopeful for a PhD program to to be involved in within the next year and depending on that outcome that'll give me more clarity about where to go from here but thinking broadly I I really want to figure out ways to help kids in the foster and adopt foster care system and who have been adopted so maybe a pursuit of RPTS to 
help with providing trainings for foster care agencies or collaborating with uh, parents who have adopted in order to bring play therapy into the homes or into um, shelters so that kids can experience the calming effects of play therapy as they deal with with tough transitions. What is it about that population that is special to you or why do you decide why do you see yourself working with that population I guess Mm -hmm. I see myself working with that population because it amazes me how many kids do not have consistent care from their biological family how many have actually been removed from their biological families because of maltreatment um, neglect abuse whatnot I saw the movie recently Instant Family and my passion for this population existed before the movie but it's increased now because in the film you get to understand there are a lot of kids out there who just need positive adults to treat them in healthy and supportive ways Um, and the kids are involved in a system that's overwhelmed so Mm -hmm. I want to help bring about change to help those kids and also to bring relief to our systems that are trying to do good things but um, sometimes really struggle because of because they're inundated with cases yeah I can imagine so that's something that calls to you I guess Mm -hmm. yes that's a good term for it yeah why should maybe a parent consider uh hiring a play therapist uh, versus maybe going to a conventional talk therapist or something like for their mm-hmm. children what would why would a parent consider an RPT or a play therapist over a conventional therapist mm-hmm. I think that's an excellent question a play therapist has been highly trained and exposed to child development how children's brains work, how they retain knowledge, make decisions, how they grow, and conventional therapists have received some training in that. However, RPT has actually specialized in that and learned how to best interact with kids at their level of comprehension and their rate of retention. So I've worked with some kids who have been taken to conventional therapists before and told me, uh, oh, we just talked. Um, But there wasn't uh, much play or much creativity in those Mm -hmm. sessions. And seeing them in the playroom, I actually get to see um, their imaginations at work as they create things, as they build things, um, as they show emotion. And I know that they're they're getting met at their level. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like taking your child to a specialist, right? Like to Mm -hmm. a doctor uh, or a medical person. Like if there's uh, a pediatrician versus like a regular family doctor or uh, just a general practitioner. It's like you might want to take your kid to a pediatrician, like somebody who specializes Mm -hmm. in children. And I think also parents will bring kids to therapy thinking there's something wrong when really there's not developmentally Mm -hmm. they're being challenged with and they're reacting in ways that typically their peers will react that same way too 
Um, there's a really great book by Dee Ray, who is a play therapist, and um, she goes through all sections of healthy development, physical, cognitive, social, um, to let parents and therapists know this is normal. So uh, going back to your main question, a conventional therapist might see the symptoms and, and treat the symptoms when really uh, a play therapist might see, oh, well, 75% of the second grade is probably doing that. So, you know, let's talk about why it bothers you, parents, as I work with your kid in other sessions. I think play therapists can take a more holistic approach to the child and the family. Right. Versus, um, like, pathologizing the child right away. Yes. Diagnosing them. It's like, well, considering their development, their environment, their mm-hmm. family... This might be quote unquote normal. I don't like that word, but right. right, it would be that's a typical response for kids their age. So you're saying you take it back to the parent or the system, the larger system, and say, why does this bother you? Like, this mm-hmm. is actually okay mm-hmm. for them to experience. Right. Oh, interesting. Okay. Do you have any final words uh, for our listeners or anybody? Who might be interested in RPTs or just in general like mm-hmm. any anything you want to say I think it's amazing to learn how to understand the world from a child's perspective I obviously was a child long ago yeah, we were all <laughs> children yes I don't remember very much about how I saw things or perceived things but through receiving training in play therapy I've understood how important it is to get at a child's level to actually kneel down, crouch next to them so that they're meeting, my eyes are meeting theirs, um, to provide toys in an environment that can be um, sterile depending on where we work, if we're in a hospital setting or even in our therapy offices, which tend to be more um, decorated for us as adults. So I, I think it's incredible to even take one class and one course in play therapy to understand how to best connect with kids mm-hmm. because in the long term that helps them with healthy relationships and helps us understand them more for our work with them and their families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a special way of communicating. Mm-hmm. And so that's important. That's really important to understand as adults. Thank you very much for your time and for allowing me to interview you. I wish you the best of luck with your PhD program. Um, And I hope that you get accepted and whether or not you do um, get accepted, you, I think, will do great things and you'll continue to do really, really good therapy because you're a good therapist. Thank you. Yes. You're a great supervisor. Thank you. I hope you learned as much as I did about play therapy. Thank you again to Kristen Trick, licensed professional counselor, registered play therapist. If you have any questions for Kristen, you can reach out to us at hello at through the eyes of a therapist.org. That's all one word. And join us next time as we continue to explore different mental health professions. Thank you for listening to Through the Eyes of a Therapist. I'm Crystal Martinez Acosta. Until next time. Remember to follow me on Instagram at Through the Eyes of a Therapist Pod. 